All right, and we are live here at the Biblos Network. Welcome, welcome. We are glad that you have joined us here for this session. We, it is late on a Tuesday night. We have decided to plumb the depths, plumb the depths of the things of God, and we're just we decided we're just going to go ahead and do it right now. Yep, let's do it. Let's build the kingdom. Let's cast out devils. Let's educate the people. <laughs> Bless them. Awesome. Well, I um, I've had some people ask a bunch of things. We've had some good feedback from people online. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for taking the time to reach out and all the support and encouragement that you have given. We have had a ton of feedback and great questions, great suggestions, and we're thankful for all of it. Yes, sir. We want people to keep texting. We we read those. Um, it's not all automated. Um, there are automation features, but we're able to go through those and see what people are saying and very encouraging. Absolutely. So, you know, if you're listening to this, watching this, um, take a walk, get on a treadmill, go to work, drive, however you listen. I hope it's a blessing to you. Put that burger down and pick up a Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we need to do a session on that. Well, one of the questions that was asked and we get some things like this periodically is to expound on some ideas and some messages that that have been preached that I have preached that have helped some people and one of them we thought we might dive into tonight is a message I preached years ago called all things really do work together yeah and there's a little history behind that message that people might not might not know. Um, it comes from, obviously, Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 and 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, who are the called according to his purpose. And um, I preached that message the first time here in Durham. And I preached it I think it was four or five days after I had resigned the church in Fort Myers. Wow. Look at how all things work together. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I didn't know the import of what I was saying. I knew it was one of the darkest moments of my life. It was a time of great trial, great personal challenge for me and my wife. A huge life-changing event and we didn't know if we were coming or going. We were launching out into a brand new season of life. And I can remember that night. It was East Coast Conference. Um, I can't remember if it was Friday night or Wednesday night. I can't remember which night it was. But there was the place was packed. People were there. The power of God was there. And I can remember feeling like I was having an out-of-body experience. Like I was floating outside my body looking down at the room. But there I was. I'm sitting there. I'm on the platform. Brother Godair's there. All these great men of God are there. <clears throat> and and he calls me. He said, Brother Urshan, we're glad you're here. We're glad you come to preach to us. And I can remember 
walking to the platform and trying just not to trip. Wow. I was so discombobulated, so out of sync, and it just felt surreal. And I'm thinking, okay, one foot in front of the other, get to the pulpit, and you can hang on to the pulpit. And that's kind of what I did. Wow. Um, and, and then as happens when you preach, and preachers know this, men, people who have launched into a, an administration of preaching where God really takes over, you lose sight of yourself, you get lost in the gift that God has given you, and, and you just deal with the material, and God elevates you. And the anointing destroys the yoke. And for about an hour to two, two hours, you don't think about any problem. You don't think about any challenge or any adversity. You're just lost in the Holy Ghost going with it. And that, that happened. Yeah. <clears throat> but the idea came from the story of Yellowstone National Park dying. Have I told you that? You know, I, I've heard about the story. I've heard people talk about it. I've heard about the message, but... This is my first time actually hearing it expounded. Okay. Well, Yellowstone was dying. And this, I believe, would have been in the 80s or 90s. People that had gone there as children remember fishing. They remember seeing animals and wildlife and seeing such a lush biodiversity, a verdant green uh, place of, of rest and repose, birds, fish jumping. It was just an amazing ecosystem. And as the years passed, they noticed that they had a bad year. Fishing wasn't so good. Didn't see as many animals. Birds began to be less noticeable. And the next year, it happened again and then again. And, and and what happened was as the years went by, it got progressively worse and nobody noticed it, kind of like the frog in the in the pot. Yeah. The heat's turned up. You don't realize it's getting worse. You don't realize you're dying. Mm-hmm. And Yellowstone was dying and they didn't know why. They ha- they couldn't remember the last time somebody had caught a fish. They They couldn't remember the last time they had seen really, you know, the, the kind of wildlife they were used to seeing and the scenery looked different. Like the, the topography looked different. The trees looked different. So they sent up a plane, Mm. an airplane, and they took pictures of Yellowstone and they came back, they developed the pictures and they took those pictures and superimposed them over an airplane that had done the same thing in the 1940s. So 50 years difference. And in 50 years, they were stunned by what they saw. Wow. The river was wider because the banks had eroded. Trees that used to be there were no longer there. Um, grass was gone. Erosion had eroded the banks Mm. dramatically. There was almost, there was a small fraction of the greenery that was there that used to be there. Yeah. 
and this the, the the picture was such a stark difference that they realized something horrible is wrong. <clears throat> so they tried all kinds of stuff. They um they thought maybe it was, you know, some kind of a a bug that was killing trees. So they sprayed chemicals, they 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 did all these quick fix remedies, mm-hmm. spent millions of dollars. That's this, it's that, it's it's water quality. So we got to do something to the water. And and nothing worked. It wasn't what they thought it was. And a couple of years passed and and none of those remedies worked. Finally a biologist came. And he kind of looked around and he said, "Can I go take some samples?" And they said, "Yeah." He said, "I I, I suspect something." So he took <clears throat> he took a a core sampler which you can drill into a tree. You take it, you drill it into the tree, and you take a core sample from that tree. Let's you tell what the trees are. You know, what the dynamics about that tree, the details. And so he goes through all the park. He goes through Yellowstone, and he took like a thousand core samples from a thousand different trees. Spent a couple weeks out there doing it. Came back, analyzed it in a lab, and he, he walked out after he analyzed it, and he said, you got a problem. And they said, what, what's the problem? He said, you don't have a single tree in this park that's less than 80 years old. Wow. There's something wrong with your trees. And they said, well, what is it? He said, I don't know, but something happened 80 years ago that changed Yellowstone. Wow. They said, what are you going to do? He said, give me some more time to research. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm coming up with some stuff. So he went back, he went to the library, and he scanned through old newspaper articles back 80 years. And they didn't go back 80 years. They only went back like 50 years. And before that, they had thrown out all the old newspapers. So they were on microfiche. You, do you know what microfiche is? No clue. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's an old, I mean, nobody does it anymore. It's this old deal that you put like under a microscope and you run it through and you turn a knob and the, they have the old newspaper articles on a, this little magnified deal and you can read. What's a newspaper? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's how it feels. Well, <clears throat> he went back 80 years and started investigating because the youngest tree was 80 yeah. that he found. And he's scanning, he's scanning, he scans one day, he scans two days. He goes through January, February, March, April, May. He goes through one year, two years, three years. It's, it's kind of a ballpark area. And he just kept reading, reading, reading. And then he found it. He knew it the moment he came across it. There was an article in there. And the article said, the last gray wolf has been killed hmm. in Yellowstone Park. And he stood up and he went back to the team of biologists that was over it. And he said, I can fix your problem. I know what your problem is. Your problem is you have upset the ecological balance of Yellowstone. And if you will release gray wolves back into the park, it'll fix everything. Hmm. And they thought, you are crazy. There's no way that can happen. 
what would that do? And, and they, it caused an uproar. Ranchers didn't want it because wolves kill livestock. Guarantee it. And people that live not far from there didn't want it because wolves kill pets. Yeah. Hunters didn't want it because they kill elk. And there were. And maybe me. Yes, that's right. And they, nobody wanted the wolves. It was a war. And yeah. it took years of back and forth, back and forth. And then they won permission to bring in wolves and they brought the wrong wolf. They didn't bring in a gray wolf. They brought in a Canadian timber wolf, hmm. which is like three times the size of a gray wolf and just slaughtered elk wholesale. <laughs> I mean, they turned this monster loose, these monsters loose, and, and the ranchers went bananas and people went bananas. And finally they said, it's the wrong wolf. What are you doing? <laughs> so they had to go like. I don't you know. had one job. Yeah. And, and yeah, look what you did. So they had to get rid of those wolves. I, I think if I kill them or something, <laughs> I don't know what it was. They were, you know, deport them or whatever you do. <clears throat> and so they finally got gray wolves, a male and female, and they set them loose. And people said, you're nuts. This is never going to work. And all of this is in the context of all things work together. Yeah. After one year, they could tell a difference. After two years, the wolf pack had grown. Elk population had dwindled a little bit. They were seeing elk kills. The wolves were doing what wolves do. Mm -hmm. and, and there was a change in the ecosystem. They could markedly tell that the entire thing changed. Wow. And so I took the time to address why. Because, and this is a controversial subject, if you talk to somebody up in the Northwest, it depends on who you talk to. If you're an environmentalist, you'll love it. If you are a rancher, you'll hate it. They, they think it's crazy. But the wolf is a cornerstone species. And if you don't have a wolf, there's nothing to hold the elk in check. Mm. Elk have to be kept in check. So when they killed the last wolf, there were no more predators strong enough to kill elk. So there was an explosion of elk. They just took over everything. Oh, elk overran everything in the park. Yeah. Which means the trees. The trees. They ate every juvenile tree. They ate all the grass off the riverbanks. When you eat all the grass, the rains wash out the mud. That's your erosion. Mm. And because, wow. because too many elk were there, it upset the ecological balance. And they destroyed every juvenile young growing tree. They ate with no fear. Elk were there that forgot the fear of the wolf. Wow. So I stopped right there and I pointed out, you got to bring the wolf back. Yeah. And I preached how that churches thinking they were doing a good thing, got rid of Satan. Mm. They got rid of the wolf. They got rid of preaching on hell. They got rid of conviction preaching. They don't have sin anymore. They have issues. Wow. They they got rid of it. It wasn't popular anymore. It scared people. It upset people. It was too harsh. We need to give people something to feel good about. And so they assassinated that kind of preaching. Wow. Thinking it would help. 
thinking it was a good idea. Yeah. But the truth is you need to preach about hell. You need to preach about Satan. You need to have that cornerstone bedrock preaching because if you don't, then church will not thrive like it's supposed to. There has to be a balance kept. I talked about how people can become so insulated from sin and from the reality of the kingdom and kingdom dynamics that they lose their fear of the wolf. That's good. They no longer are afraid of hell. They don't even talk about hell. They don't. Churches won't even let you say the word. It's a negative word. We don't want to offend anybody. Yeah. And kids grow up just fellowshipping, having a big party, having fun all the time, and they're grazing on everything. Wow. They there's nothing. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And in that kind of a dynamic, sin becomes cool. Mm-hmm. Sin becomes something that's okay. You 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 start. You go into areas that you, your parents never would have gone, and you experiment with things that previous generations would not experience. Your grandma and grandpa bear the scars of sin, and they know the danger of sin and the wolf. But if you have no consequences That's right. of anything in your life, then you don't even know what a wolf is. Wow, wow, wow. And so out of a false bravado and, and without facing any of life's struggles, there's just this explosion of fellowship, explosion of fun times. Ex- just entertain us. Just babysit us. Yeah. And and at first it would look so nice and look so safe. That's right. That's right. Hunters had all the elk they could hope for. Mm-hmm. But the hunter is not the same as the wolf. The wolf kept them in check. Just the threat of the wolf would keep them hidden in the brush. But now without a wolf, they're out. They're out in broad daylight. There's no more nocturnal habits. They're on the banks. They're eating everything that moves. Wow. And so the, you know, there, I imagine there are some old elk that still have some scars from wolves and there's grandparents that still understand sin and they understand the consequences of sin. But if there's some young juveniles that have never heard the growl in the underbrush. Wow. So they overate everything and it destroyed all the green things. So I preached, when was the last time you heard a hell message? When was the last time you heard a good message on conviction and what hell's going to be like? Because there is a hell. Yes. And there is a devil. And you have to preach that. You have to preach hell hot and you have to preach heaven beautiful. That's right. And that's real preaching. That's church preaching. And if you change the ecosystem of the church... It sets off a chain reaction because all things work together. Right. Where did it go wrong? That's right. And one day you'll wake up and there won't be one tree in the park under 80. There won't be one person in that church under 80. Wow. The younger generation's gone. The life is gone. The vitality's gone. The fish no longer jump. The birds no longer sing. So one of the things that happened is when the wolf was killed, then the there was no animal to fill its spot. There's nothing strong enough to fill its spot. So coyotes, mm-hmm. which are not apex predators, they're second tier predators, they exploded. Coyotes 
would feed on the remains of the elk carcass. Well, nobody can pull an elk down anymore except the occasional bear. And so because, because the coyotes have no food, they now destroyed raccoons. They destroyed squirrels. Mm-hmm. They overhunted beaver. Now that's a big deal because when you kill the beaver, the beaver is a cornerstone species. So because there were no wolves to kill elk, there were no elk to feed coyotes, the coyotes killed the beavers. All things work together. Wow. And beavers make dams. Mm-hmm. So they cut down trees, they make dams, they dam up the river. And so what is a flowing, torrential, gushing force of nature, the beaver slows it down. The beaver turns it into a calm, placid, meandering, slow-moving current in which salmon and trout can spawn. Without the beaver, the trout can't spawn. Hmm. And I talked about how sometimes God will drop trees in your life. If you take all trial out of your life, if you try to eliminate all adversity from out of your life, then the rushing river of life can never slow down. And when it's just gushing, running, torrential all the time, and you never Mm -hmm. take a moment to allow the Lord to be your shepherd and to lead you beside still waters, then things can't spawn that need to. Things can't grow that need to. You need to slow down. You need to catch your breath. You need to sit down and let yourself meditate on the things of God. And I talked about an experience in our life. <clears throat> there was a time in as children that my father went through a very difficult time in his ministry and he had a personal trial that really hurt him, hurt him and my mother. They loved God. They were very sincere, but they had a, a church situation that really, really hurt them. And God allowed a beaver to drop a tree and dam up the flow mm-hmm. of their life. There's a lot of people that think when things fall in your life and things create obstacles that it's the worst thing that could ever happen. But the truth no. is God's rescuing you from the flow. That's right. And he's letting things spawn. Mm-hmm. And what we did not know is that there were three little trout named Kristen, Nathan, and Joel Yeah, that needed time to grow. Wow. And what my dad thought was his worst, worst trial, when, when the trees that he thought were so important fell, it was actually the healthiest thing that could happen because when the trees fall, the flow is dammed, the fish can spawn, and the birds can eat. Mm. And so the egret walks through the still waters and the fish jump and the eagle can feed because all things work together Wow, for good. And there's and, a God that created that whole ecosystem. That's right. That's right. Um, so, you know, the, the concept there, people assume that because something falls, it's the end. But biologists don't, don't believe that. <clears throat> like mm-hmm. when an elk falls, it's the end of the elk. Mm-hmm. 
but it's the beginning of the coyote. That's good. It's the beginning of the vulture. It's the beginning of the bear and the wolf to tear at the carcass. It's a meal. Right. And not only is it a meal, but it's a timed meal. Hunters yeah. can't duplicate that. Hunters can come in and kill and harvest, but there is a staggered timing that feeds on a regular schedule all of that entire ecosystem. And what is the end for the elk becomes life for the beetle, which is food for the bird, mm-hmm. which is food for the microflora and the microfauna. And so one person's end is another person's beginning. You can look at the carcass of failures in your life and think that's the end. That's the worst thing in the world. But God will actually use someone else's end and someone else's fall to strengthen you I. and edify you. Mm-hmm. And you, and I'm, I know it's a kind of a gruesome metaphor, but you can feed off that failure and learn how not to do it. Wow. That's good. Learn how not to to treat your family, learn how not to conduct yourself privately, learn how not to do ministry because all things work together. Wow. So, you know, who could envision that kind of a chain reaction? That biologist came in and said, I could have saved you guys millions of dollars if you would have just let me bring a couple gray wolves in here. Yeah. If you let me bring that wolf back in, I'll give you your eagles back. I'll give you your egrets back. I'll give you your fish back. The beavers will come back. Everything will come back. And the point being is if you'll begin to preach those basic bedrock cornerstone species messages, the fish will jump again. That's good. The birds will sing again. My. <laughs> because wow. all things really do work together for the good. Wow. I didn't know what I was preaching in the sense of my own life. Yeah. When it was over, <clears throat> I remember Brother Godair looking at me from the pulpit in front of you know, over a thousand people. And he said, Brother Urshan, I can't speak to everything that's going on in your life right now, but I can tell you that you are in the perfect will of God. Wow. And I remember thinking, boy, it didn't feel like it. <laughs> a big tree had fallen in my stream and things had dammed up pretty bad. Yeah. But God was spawning things. God was bringing things to pass. I did not know I'd wind up pastoring this church. I did not know that I would be living in Durham. You'd be living in Durham. (laughs) Yeah. But all things work together. (laughs) All things work together, man. So I believe that. Wow. I believe in that ecosystem interconnectedness. Yeah. So if you want the fish to jump in your church, if you want people to worship God like they used to, and people say, well, why why don't we see the move of God that we used to? Why don't we see the miracles that we used to? That's like saying, why don't we see the fish jump? Why, why Why don't we see the animals like we used to? If you will bring back the things that made it great, that are cornerstone dynamics, Mm -hmm. God will put it back. Yeah. God will put it back. You don't fix it by pretending like the wolves don't exist. No. No, and you you can't be afraid of the thing God built into it. So if you're afraid of hell preaching, if you're afraid of the devil, if you're afraid of using the word sin, you're going to lose your church. That's right. So you won't have a church, you'll have a social club, and the fish will stop jumping. Mm. And the birds will no longer sing. 
and the trees in that forest eventually will be 80 years old with no young ones left. So that's the idea. And it's very relevant. It's, it's a picture of denomination today. People that haven't given birth spiritually, their religions are dying. They are dying. COVID-19 is probably going to kill, if not half, of organized churches. I mean, they are going under oh, yeah. at record paces. And not everybody's sad about it. A lot of people are just like, meh, we're going down anyway. Wow. I can't imagine that. But COVID is just hastening what? It was already happening. It's already happening, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so let the fish jump, man. Let the wolves howl. That's so good. Let's have church. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. So that's the idea. Life is like that. Stuff is connected you wouldn't think is connected. That's exactly right. But it all works together. Have you ever <clears throat> have you ever really studied the Feast of Purim? No clue. The Feast of Purim is the celebration in Israel mm -hmm. that remembers the day that Esther delivered Israel. Mm. Now, you'll read in Mosaic Law about the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast yeah. of Trumpets, the Feast of Harvest. But you will not read about the Feast of Purim. Interesting. Because Purim didn't happen till later, and Purim is the feast that never should have happened. Hmm. And I'm saying this in the context of all things work together. There never should have been a book of Esther. Because I believe that when we do things or when we fail to do things, we set in motion ripples, reverberations that last not only in my life, but in the life of my children and my grandchildren. That's and right. my biggest fear, and for those of you that don't understand holiness and you don't understand conservative ideology, this is a big thing that makes us tick. This is a big thing that we think about. I don't want to allow something to come in in my life on my watch that will kill my grandkids. Mm. And I don't want my grandson to have to fight a fight that I was supposed to. Wow. So Esther traces the book of Esther, the story of Esther, and the Feast of Purim traces its origin to the rebellion of Saul. Samuel told Saul to kill all of the Amalekites. Yeah. Every right. last one of them. Because Amalek stopped Israel from coming through the land when, when they were on their way to the promised land. And so God said, I never forgot it. They are wicked, they are evil, and I remember the evil of Amalek. So go back and fight them and destroy them and cut them off. Everything, utterly cut them off. Saul went, and he didn't. That's right. He saved the animals for spoil, and he saved some people. Yeah. And the king that he spared, his name was Agag. Right. 
that name, Agag, is it's it's a it's an unbelievable principle. Because obviously, he he saved the animals and he spared Agag. Well, apparently, he spared Agag's family. You know, so Saul Samuel comes, rebecks, uh, rebukes Saul, tells him that, you know, because you have done this, God has rejected you. <clears throat> and then he pulls out a sword and he kills Agag. He hews him in pieces. <laughs> yeah, that's descriptive. <laughs> oh, man. Just brutal, man. Just, yeah. what do you think the word hew? <laughs> I mean, good Lord. That's like, I just hacking. Yeah, that's not the changing of color temperature. That's no. something much worse. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm talking about well, I won't get too graphic, but I just think chopping down a well, tree, man. And there's some things you got to hew out of your life. That's right. There are battles you need to win. Mm-hmm. And when the prophet says do it, do it. Do it. And if you leave it, well, that means your grandkids got to fight it. Wow. So it is highly significant that when Saul dies, it is an Amalekite that kills him. Mm. Wow. Wow. So he falls on his own sword. His life is still in him. And it's an Amalekite. The thing that you were supposed to destroy destroys you. You should have killed that a long time ago. God gave you a chance. It's one reason why we don't allow Hollywood into our lives. Mm-hmm. Because if you leave Hollywood to go, it has a way of coming back. And then on your deathbed, mm. it can kill you. That's good. It can destroy your spiritual victory. But it doesn't end there because time goes on. And, and then all of a sudden you read the story of Esther. And here's Mordecai. Mordecai is outside the gates. Everybody is bowing to, to Haman, the Agagite. And... I mean, that name is just, it resonates. Mm-hmm. Because here is the offspring of Saul, or, or rather of, of Agag that Saul was supposed to kill. Wow. And because he didn't handle the business God told him to, now his grandchild has to fight the battle. My goodness. And Mordecai, I won't bow. And the same hatred and wickedness that was in Agag is in his great-great-grandson. So Haman wants to kill him, and he begins a campaign to kill Mordecai. I I love the story because it highlights the arrogance of the carnal man. Uh, You know the story where um, one night the king can't sleep and his chamberlain reads to him the story about a plot to assassinate him. Mm. And the, the plot is read, and there was a man that discovered the plot and informed the guards, and, and the king said, what was ever done? He saved my life. They were going to assassinate me and kill me. Did anybody, what's, what's the guy's name? The guy says, his name's Mordecai. He said, wow, my goodness, anybody ever give him anything? No, he just kind of got lost. Oh, we can't have that. We need to find him. And we need to bless him and we need to honor him for the great work. He saved my life. I wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for Mordecai. So he goes to Haman and he says, Haman, suppose you had. Hey, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's terrible, man. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, man. Suppose you had somebody 
that you wanted to honor, that you wanted to really show your appreciation for. Here's the thing about the flesh. The flesh always thinks you're talking about it. Mm-hmm. Anytime there's glory, anytime there's honor, anytime there's a chance to be puffed up and vainglorious, the flesh is going to immediately assume that you're talking about it. Um, and on a side note, if there's anything bad that's being talked about, the flesh will assume you're talking about it too. That's good. Yeah. Wow. People will say something, and if you're guilty, you'll go, why'd you say that? Yeah, that's right. Say that. And the Bible says the wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous is bold as a lion. Mm. So Haman is the flesh. And he obviously thinks that he is the one the king's talking about. Well, king, I, and I love this. It's like God has this amazing sense of humor. Um, well, I think you should take the, the best horse and I think you should put the king's robe on him and I think you should parade him through the city streets and tell everybody, this is a great man. This is the man that saved the life of the king. <laughs> and Haman's envisioning himself doing that. And the king says, good, great idea. Go get Mordecai and you do it. <laughs> <laughs> and so Haman's got to put him on the royal horse and he's got to put him in the king's robe and he's got to walk around and give glory to him. God knows how to do it. So if you're being persecuted and if you are being done wrong, God knows how to pay your enemies back. Yeah. And he'll pay your enemies back in a way that only God can do it. Wow. So anyway, Haman the Agagite wants to kill Mordecai. Esther comes through, you know the story, and she delivers the kingdom. Haman is hung on a gallows. And the point to be made is all things work together. Yeah. When Samuel said, kill Agag, it was because God knew the potential of the future. Wow. And was telling him to do it. So there are some things that can be tough to do right now, but by the help of God, I'm going to do it because I know that I set in motion ripple effects that could save or destroy my grandchild. And that's a holiness lesson, lesson people need to learn. Yeah, talk about that. Talk about the the palmer worm and the canker worm and the caterpillar. Very good topic. I have a good friend. His name is uh, Tim Haddon. He's a good preacher out of Portland, Oregon. And he is the one who talked to me about that. He kind of shared that with me. He said that, um, he said, you know, Nathaniel, in Joel chapter 2, it says that God will restore the years that the canker worm that the locust hath eaten, the mm-hmm. canker worm, the palmer worm, and the caterpillar. And he said people assume those are three different bugs. Yeah. But they're not. They're not. They are the same bug at different developmental stages. So it is a canker worm, then it's a palmer worm, then it's a caterpillar, then it's a locust. Mm. And sin has a way of growing like that. And you don't want to deal with it when it's a locust. You want to deal with it when it's vulnerable. Don't let it get started. So it's not that we're strict. It's not that we're trying to be sticks in the mud and we're old-fashioned and we're Mm small-minded. Believe it or not, we got some pretty smart conservative guys. (laughs) You know, we're not all cavemen. Well, that thing starts off looking fuzzy, and by the end of it, it's this, this devouring thing with wings. That's right. And it eats every good green 
wholesome thing. There were, there were cases in the Old Testament where, and in the ancient world, I should say, where it would turn the sky black. There were so many of them. Wow. So there's developmental stages to sin, and it will devour every good thing. You set in motion those devouring dynamics, and, and they will destroy your children, your grandchildren. And before you know it, Esther's life is at stake, and so is Mordecai's. And that's the phrase, who knows but that thou art kingdom for su- come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mm-hmm. And that iconic phrase is coined in the book of Esther is there, and the whole story of Haman and Mordecai, all because Saul rebelled because he didn't know that all things work together. Wow. So that's the concept. Yeah. We don't think in terms of days and weeks. We think in terms of centuries and millennia. Mm-hmm. What I allow now, what I engage in now, will become normative later on in my children and grandchildren. So you better see far. And that's it. 